We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Colossians chapter 2, we begin reading in verse 1. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Lord, would you teach us today that we must have godly purpose for our individual lives, for our families, and for this church. God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would help me to get out of the way of it today, that you would help me to become less as you become more, as you would glorify yourself as believers know your word and love you more because of it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, would you please be seated? So you see that big idea on the screen that's guiding us this morning um, that really jumps out of the text, that we must have godly purpose for our individual lives, our families, and the church. And Paul gives us what these godly purposes are, these things that help us to get back to the basics of why we do what we do. Now, what we saw in verse 1 is, is Paul laid it out. He said, here is my love for the church. I've been struggling for you and for the church at Laodicea, even though you've never met me personally. You see, Paul had not been to Colossae. You remember we've talked about that several times. And so because of that, he's relaying to them that his heart for them, even though he had never been there, or what was about to be laid out in the next few verses. It could be said, obviously, of the Apostle Paul that he's never been at First Baptist Church of Summit. It could be say, said of the Apostle Paul that, obviously, he had not been at El Shaddai Baptist Church in Zambia. It could be said of the Apostle Paul that he hasn't been any of these places, but his concern for the church remains the same, and it helps us to get back to basics. So let's talk today about what those purposes are. Number one, he prays for them, he hopes for them, he struggles for them that they would have hearts of courage. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart. As you see that there in verse 2, when he talks about a heart of courage, he's talking about that his goal, his hope for this church is that they would be so filled, so encouraged and filled with courage that they would be able to face any situation, including what he knew was going to be false teachers. How many of you today recognize that when you look at your own life, if you're a student and you look at what it is you're facing, you look at the life you live in, you look at how tough it is to be in junior high, you look at how difficult it is to be in high school, how it is to be in college. When you look at, at your children's lives or, or even your grandchildren's lives, you know that if they're going to make it, they better be people with the, or, that have some courage about them. They better have some true Christian grit about themselves. They better be people that understand that this is not going to be easy. So what Paul prays and Paul hopes is that they are people with stiff spines. They're people with guts. And so when we use the word heart, 
Often when we talk about a heart, it's this, um, in our culture, we're talking about this ushy, gushy, emotional thing. Never in the New Testament is that what it's talking about. In fact, when somebody talked about the heart, the cardia, it's talking about the very inner workings of who you are. In other words, at your core, the heart was the joining of what would be the mind and the will and the emotions. So it's the very center of who you are. From the very depths of who you are, the heart is the center of your life. So when we understand that, it's really easy to understand why Paul would say that my purpose in ministry, my, my purpose in the church is that people would be people of courage. We know that Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, to above all else guard your what? Heart. Guard your heart because he says it is the wellspring of life. What we know is that if you're going to make it in this world, if you're going to live out Christian principles, it's because you have enough intestinal fortitude. It's because you have enough heart and enough toughness and enough perseverance and that you recognize that I'm not expecting this to be easy, but I'm expecting it to be worth it. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. So in Christ alone, we sang this morning, that is the motivation behind we understand that some of us need to stop being cowards in our faith, and we've got to be people that are willing to live out loud. And so that's the first thing that he said. He, he, here's a driving purpose. I want to have people who have some Christian courage about them. You can look over at our day and you recognize that I believe courage is what is lacking in leadership across the board courage and conviction and a willingness to say here's where I stand a willingness to say that I'm going to speak the truth and I'm going to tell you what it is that is on my heart and I'm not going to back down from that and no matter what the world may say and no matter what philosophies around the world may say and no matter what Satan may say and no matter what sin may say here is where we are and so because of that if we live with courage if we live with conviction you're going to have labels and be called things but I'm I'm telling you friends what I want to be called is faithful by Jesus and so if we're faithful but to Jesus it means we're going to have to be people of courage in the world in which we live number two number two not only should we be people with hearts of courage but it also says that he prays that they would have unity in love watch what it says here we still find ourselves in verse two is that they be encouraged in heart and united in love unity in love when Jesus was praying in John 17, verse 23, He prayed this, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that You sent Me and have loved them even as You have loved Me. Here's the importance of unity. Now, I want to make something very, very clear when we talk about unity. That there is a movement that is going on right now in our world especially among world religions that everybody just unite let's just all come together that religions ought to come together and every belief system ought to come together can't we all just get along you heard this right i'm okay you're okay i believe what i want to believe and you would believe what you want to believe that's not what paul's talking about when he talks about unity because you cannot, listen to me, you cannot have unity if you don't have truth. Because you have to ask ourselves the question, if I'm going to unite with you over something, 
if we're going to come together over something, then the one thing that is non-negotiable is truth. So we unite over truth and we disunite over lies. So the purpose of the church is to unite together over the gospel and the power of the Word of God. Now when those things are agreed upon, the church needs to heed Paul's warning that we ought to be a people that are in unity. One of the things that breaks my heart the most is to see any in this church or in any church factions and divisions and fighting over dumb stuff and having silly arguments and you refusing to forgive each other and wars going on on social media that are taking place between people who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ and gossip among the flock and people not willing to address people head on about what the problems are. Shame on you. Shame on you if that's your story. Why? Because why would a lost and dying world ever believe the gospel if we can't get along and we can't love each other? Now, that doesn't mean that all of us are going to get along exactly the same. It doesn't mean that you're going to want to hang out with everybody that you go to church with. But it does mean this. It does mean that non-negotiably, that you have to be a people who understand that our relationships with each other have to be so grounded in love that I wouldn't want a lost world to not be able to see Jesus because of how they see that the church treats each other, right? So why we do what we do, it's a purpose. So the purpose is not just having a heart of courage, but the purpose of also having unity and love. And, and then we get to, to the heart, really, of what Paul's purpose is. He spends the most time on, on this section that we're coming to here because we come to number three. Hearts of courage, unity and love, and number three, complete understanding. Look at, pick up in the, the last of verse two and then let's read together. United in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. There's that phrase. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Now, verse 4, we're going to develop that more next week as we talk about the fine-sounding arguments and deceptive philosophies that Paul continues to talk about as he continues this passage. But what I want you to focus on today is that word complete understanding. Because what Paul is talking about, about the mysteries in Christ, he's saying that his primary goal is that the people that he ministers to, the people in the church, understand the gospel. Understand the gospel. I, I'm, I, I ought to be able to do this. I ought to be able to do this. And I'm not, what I'm about to say is I don't, I don't want to make anybody nervous. I'm, I'm not a, about to embarrass anybody. But there should not be anyone in this room who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ that if I grabbed Bradley's microphone and started walking up and down the aisles and said, would you stand up and explain the gospel? I'm not telling you that you ought to be able to preach or exegete Romans or walk through the gospel of John, but you ought to be able to stand and testify to the definition of the gospel. And the reason that Paul wants that is it's not just about giving somebody a hard time about their knowledge. It's that we don't know what we don't understand. And if we can't explain it, it might be that we don't understand it. And Paul's point is, is that there are a whole lot of people, and this is absolutely true today, who are struggling 
And one of the reasons they're struggling is if, if you gave them a questionnaire and you ask them, are you a believer, they would check yes. But inside their heart, half the time, they're not sure. They don't know if they're saved. Maybe I'm saved. I think I'm saved. I, I, I probably would go to heaven. Oh, friends, that's no way to live. You are to be pitied above all men if it is that you wonder about your salvation. Because the only reason that anyone would wonder about their salvation is if they wondered about the gospel. Because if you believe the gospel, then you should have a complete understanding, Paul words, words here, or a full assurance of your salvation. That it is rooted. We talked about here about being firm, about being rooted in the veracity of the gospel, and you say, well, I, I believe the gospel. Well, when we talk about applying the gospel, we have to apply the gospel in every area of our life, including how we apply it to our own life and our own soul. So no one can have a hope of heaven if you doubt whether or not you're going. That's about the simplest statement I think I've ever made. You cannot have a hope of heaven if you don't know whether you're going. And it is a shame that there are people who have heard the gospel, who should know the gospel, and yet still they are dealing with this doubt that lingers in their heart and in their life all of the time. So I wonder, is that of God? Is that of God? That you would constantly be asking yourself, am I saved? Am I saved? Am I really saved? Friends, I am not your priest because you don't need me to be your priest. You have a high priest who is in heaven. But I want to tell you on the authority of the Word of God that if you have been convicted that you are a sinner and you have believed that Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived 33 years of sinless perfection, was led to a cruel cross called Calvary, and was punished and died for your sins, that the wrath of God that should have been doled out on you was placed on Him, that He was taken and placed in a borrowed tomb, but that He didn't stay dead, but that He rose from the grave, and because you have repented of your sin and asked Him to forgive you, believing in His death, burial, and resurrection, and asking Him to take control of your life, if you have done that, the Bible says you are saved. So it's not about you believing in whether or not you are good enough to be saved. It's about believing in whether God is good enough to save you, whether or not God is faithful. So I'm honestly, I want to, for some of you, by the Word of God, to be liberated today with a complete understanding. Because some of you, if you leave here in every day, every night, every service, every invitation, you're going, am I saved? Am I saved? Am I saved? Am I saved? That's not of God. That's of Satan. And he's trying to rob from you the complete understanding and the security of which you can live your life with freedom, knowing that it is for freedom, Galatians 5 and 1, that Christ has set you free, right? Right? So that is the complete understanding. You see, we live today with so many deceptions and so many scams that are going around, and we're told we just need to keep an open mind, right? Just need to keep your mind open. I love what Chesterton said a long time ago. He said the object of an open mind 
is the same object of an open mouth to close upon something. The reason that we open our mind is to develop an understanding, but once you encounter the truth, you close your mind on that truth. And the truth of the gospel means that we totally and completely have an understanding of what salvation is. I would challenge you today. J.I. Packer said that bad theology infects the heart with misbelief and unbelief. Friends, I'm not asking you to be able to quote chapter and verse all of the New Testament, but what I am asking you is that in your own heart, in your own quiet time, you get settled with the gospel. Be able to explain the gospel. Be able to explain the gospel and biblically understand the gospel so that when doubts arise, whether that's from your own heart, whether that's from Satan, whether that's from circumstances, that you do not combat those doubts with fear and worry, but you combat those doubts with the facts of the Word of God and you beat it back with the recognition that I don't have to have this debate every time I hear a sermon. I don't have to have this debate every time I read my Bible. I don't have to have this debate every time I pray. Why? Not because I have faith in my own goodness, but because I have faith in God's goodness. I recently saw a study that blew my mind. It was talking about how uninformed theologically that, that believers are. What, what a lack of a biblical worldview people that profess Christ actually had. And Barna and Hatch in a book, Bowling Point, here, here are some statistics, and I want us to pull some things out of this together. Barna and Hatch in Bowling Point said this, these are statistics from people who profess to be believers. They profess to be Christians, all right? Large demographic study. One-fourth of these people who profess to be believers said that Jesus committed sins. One-third, remember these are people who profess to be believers, one-third said that Jesus did not rise from the dead. One-third... And these are people that profess to be believers, said all religions teach basically the same thing. Now, what they did with those statistics and what I think needs to be done with those statistics are two totally different things. Their issue was that the church obviously needs to teach these believers better, that they don't understand the gospel, that they don't understand the Bible way I would come at that is, if you do not believe that Jesus lived a sinless life, you're not a believer. If you do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you are not a believer. And if you believe that all religions teach the same thing, you are not a believer. So whether you profess to know Christ or you don't profess to know Christ, you're lost. But if you do believe and you have committed, then what the Bible says is, is that if you believe in your heart, Romans 10 and 9, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you can be saved. But theology matters. Doctrine matters. Belief matters. The Bible matters. The gospel matters. Complete understanding. And then if you have complete understanding, it will then obviously lead, verses 5 through 7, to continued growth. Watch what it says here. It says, Though I'm absent from you in the body, 
I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up, strengthened the faith in the faith as you were taught. Continued growth. How you came to Christ is how you must walk in Him. I think one of the great delusions, the reason that there's a lack of sanctification among people, is that we believe that we're justified by grace through faith, this not of ourselves, so that no man could boast. Ephesians 2 and 9. We believe that. But then we see somehow that sanctification is going to come in a different way, and it doesn't. The way that we are sanctified comes the way, same way we were justified, and that is by Jesus and by grace. So if I was saved by grace through faith, how am I going to be sanctified? by grace, through faith. How is it that I'm going to continue in my growth? It's not that it's just, hey, get saved, and then the, the salvation is a finish line, and you go, whew, I'm saved, I'm done now. No, if you are saved, praise God, but you just got started. How many people in here have been walking with the Lord for years, praise God, and you realize that, yeah, you've come a long way, but how many of you would raise your hand right now in all honesty and say, yeah, the Lord's done a lot with me, but i got a long way to go right? Well, how are you going to get there? You're going to get there the same way you started, by the grace of God and the power of God working in your life. Grace didn't get you saved and then set you on your own. Grace got you saved, and I still need His grace. I need Jesus just as much today as I did the day He saved me. Amen? So it's continued growth. Russell Moore said years ago that for too long we've called unbelievers to invite Jesus into your life. Jesus doesn't want to be in your life. Your life's a wreck. Jesus calls you into His life. And that's good. My whole life I was told, invite Jesus in, kind of like I was letting Him be on a committee. Have you lost your mind? The ruler of the universe, I'm going to give Him a vote. He wants to rule you. You're being invited to be in Christ's life. And when we understand that, that is what motivates this continued growth. Galatians 6, chapter 6, verse 9. Do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Here's a great Christian principle. Keep on keeping on. You say, I don't want to. Do it anyway. I'm tired of church. Go anyway. I don't want to read my Bible. Read your Bible anyway. I don't know that my prayers are making any difference. Pray anyway. I'm, sometimes I'm tired of serving. Serve anyway. Sometimes I don't feel like singing. Sing anyway. You keep on doing what God has called you to do. And some days that's tough. But some days you keep putting one foot in front of the other and you recognize that there is reward and benefit and continued growth and keeping on doing what God has called you to do. And when that takes place, that rooting and building up that Paul is talking about coming from this foundation, sanctification continues. Now, I found it interesting this week. Um, I came across a study over young children. When I say young, I'm talking about upper elementary age children. And they tried to figure out what would be the biggest indicator of whether or not that child would excel in a field down the road. Now, they did a huge study on music. Like, they actually took kids that were joining the band in the fifth and sixth grade and they studied them. 
But then they expanded the study and they, they looked at athletics and they also looked at certain scholastic achievements. And they tried to figure out what is the biggest indicator. Now, with music, most of us would think that the biggest indicator would be that this child shows indications of having rhythm at a younger age or musical talent or they can match pitch or whatever that would be. Wrong. Did you know in athletics that it wasn't the child that was the fastest in the fifth grade? It wasn't the child that was the strongest in the fifth grade. That wasn't it either. It was amazing. Here's the one thing they found. That across the board, the one indicator of whether or not a child that was anywhere from 10 to 12 years old would show proficiency in whatever the specific activity was long term is whether when they were that age, they were committed to whatever it was. In other words, if they said, well, I'm going to try playing the trumpet and see how it goes, I might do it for a year or two. That child very seldom ever made it to the heights of having real musical talent and going far. Same thing, pick a sport. Well, we'll see how baseball goes. Let me give it a year or two. But no, you find the child that says, I want to play the trumpet for the rest of my life. I want to be in the band all the way through high school and go to college. That child, even if they weren't as musically proficient, went further in music than the child who thought they'd give it a whirl. Well, that makes sense to me. Doesn't that make sense to you? Well, how much sense does it make then that some people when they enter in the Christian life are like, well, we'll see. We'll give this Jesus thing a try. Part of the success that we're going to experience and our sanctification is going to come from this belief that this is not a phase. The gospel is not just something we're going to try for a week or two. But when I really understand the gospel, that it's so all-encompassing that now, above all else, I say, you know what, I'm going to serve Jesus the rest of my life. I'm going to serve Him in junior high. And he's going to be worth serving in high school. And when I get to college and everybody goes nuts and every temptation comes at me, I'm still going to serve Jesus. And then when I get married, I want to marry a godly woman that wants to serve Jesus. And I want to have children. I want to raise godly children. And then one day, if God lets me get old, I want to be a godly old dude. You, you see the difference? That's what it makes to say, you know what, not only am I growing, but I'm going to have continued growth in that. And then if all those things happen, it'll lead to number five. Number five, so simple. We're talking about purposes. What is the last thing that Paul says? You see that last phrase, and overflowing with thankfulness. So simple. Praise starts and completes the circle. When we talk about the greatest purposes for our life, it ought to be that thankfulness and praise are overriding factors in everything that we do. I believe this to be true. Our level of thankfulness and praise is the best indicator of our spiritual state. If you are a thankful person, a person that praises God a lot, my guess is you and the Lord are walking hand in hand. If you're bitter and you don't have an attitude of thanksgiving and you don't praise God a lot, my guess is your relationship with God is struggling. It starts and it ends with praise. Now, I guess as I've gotten older, I'm learning something. I'm learning, and I think the Bible teaches this all throughout, 
the greatest thing about our relationship with God and the understanding that we need to have when it comes to thankfulness is that you praise Jesus when things are incredible. But my guess is that the people that really understand the gospel are people that praise Jesus even when things are down, even when things are tough, even when things are difficult. Because we understand that even in the midst of the difficulty, no matter what other pain I have, I've got Jesus.